I am a bearer of the light. Now this light is a special light. It may look ordinary, but it's not. I can tell you that it's extraordinary. I can try to persuade you that the source of this light is more than natural. I can even hope you might be able to see that this light is beyond human, but I can't prove it to you. I've been carrying this light for many, many years. Originally, I was recruited, called, if you will, invited to carry the light. And I had to accept the invitation before the light was given me to carry. The carrying of this light was not forced on me. And I was told that I would join a long line of light bearers who down through the centuries have made the same commitment. Some famous, most anonymous, but all joined by the common bond of the light. And I was told that as I carried this light, some people would be drawn to it. They would somehow know they needed it. Some people would get healed, some people would be delivered from bondage, some people would finally see how things really are. Some people, when they touch the light, would want to become light bearers themselves, and some people would become brand new people. And I was also told others would hate the light and hate me for carrying it, that I could suffer I was told that many people would think that light bearers were the most ignorant, the most simple-minded, the most foolish of people, that light bearer was a person of no consequence whatsoever. I was told if I agreed to carry the light, it would be a lifetime commitment. I would have to carry it everywhere I went, and the light would never go out. I was told that if I agreed to carry the light, I would get to join a special group of other light bearers and we would help each other carry our lights. And Lord knows I sure needed help because I wasn't sure how to carry this thing. You know, should I carry it up high and point to it and point to me and go, hey, I'm bearing the light. That didn't work out so good. Or maybe I should just kind of carry it low, kind of inconspicuous. If you see it, you do. If you don't, you don't. And that wasn't all that effective either. Then I thought maybe I was making mistakes, and so maybe I should just carry it super carefully so I wouldn't make any mistakes. Well, that was kind of paralyzing. Well, then I got to thinking, well, maybe I should just set it on the ground tie a string to it, and just drag it behind me. And people would come up to me and say, what are you dragging behind you? And I'd say, well, I got this light. So I've needed help from other light bearers to help me figure out how to carry this thing. And I was told that carrying the light would change who I was, that the longer I carried it, the more I'd change. However, I came to know some other realities about carrying the light that I wasn't prepared for when I accepted the invitation. 
Sometimes it gets heavy, literally and figuratively. Other times I forget I even have it. And even though the light won't go out, there have been times I've hidden it, sometimes on purpose. Other times I discovered the light could be hidden without me even knowing it. I learned if I hated or judged, lost my temper or lied or cheated, if I was proud or acted superior, people couldn't see the light. Or worse yet, they thought they saw the light, but then they thought better of it. That can't be the light. They thought if someone let him carry it. And I also found out that other light bearers didn't like the way I carried my light. They said I was doing it all wrong. No one will see the light if you carry it that way, they said. If you carry the light the way you're carrying it, you're going to go down the wrong path. And I found myself starting to think the same thing about some of them. And then I noticed there were people carrying other kinds of light. They sort of resembled my light, but I knew they were lights birthed in the minds of men. In fact, they weren't really lights. They just looked like lights. And the people who carried them told me their lights were just as good as mine, and who was I to say that my light was the light? Then I noticed there were some people with really big lights. They were stylish and beaming. They had power. I just had this little light, kind of old-fashioned, didn't seem all that significant. Maybe me carrying it around wasn't so important after all. I mean, if these big lights were shining, no one could tell if I was carrying this little thing anyway. Maybe it didn't matter. And through all my light bearing, I've made huge mistakes. I've gotten things right a couple of times. I've been battered and bruised and yet at the same time protected and encouraged. I've been confused, yet confident and enlightened. And at times I've been lost. And at other times, the light shined a pathway for me. I'm still hanging on to the light. And it's still hanging on to me. Now let's hold on to those thoughts for a moment. That little analogy as we approach our text. A few days ago, a friend asked me if I was nervous when I stood up here, and I told him, not really nervous, uh, <clears throat> but I must confess there's a certain level of discomfort as I see all of you staring at me. <clears throat> but what I did tell him uh, was the most unsettling for me was when I was unsure about what I was going to talk about. And when Joel contacted me a couple of weeks ago about preaching today, I had two different topics, two different passages, if you will, that were heavy on my mind, and I thought either one of them would be good for us. I couldn't decide which one, and it was bothering me. Then two Sunday mornings ago, I was laying in bed early, early in the morning, my mind was racing back and forth between these two passages. Which one? Which one? Finally, I prayed. It's a sad commentary on my life when I say, finally, I prayed. I said, Lord, this is driving me nuts. 
would you please help me decide which one? Well, then later on that morning, I came to church, and I sat down at a table with Corey Grupa, and I was hoping to get to know him a little better, and I had met him, met him briefly just once, and in true fashion for me, I forgot his first name, but anyway, we started talking, and I got to learn his occupation, family background, personal history, where he lived, where he grew up. It was great. And some other guys joined us and I, at our table, and I came to realize I was actually interrupting something. Did you know there are a group of guys who meet together before church and pray for the service? They also share with one another a Bible verse that they've memorized that week or that they've been meditating on that week. They have to recite it. They kind of have to say how it's been impacting them. If you didn't know that, I hope you're blessed like I was when I found out. And Corey recited his verse that week, which was Mark 4.21, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed, is it not to be put on the lampstand? And when he shared that verse, I sensed the Lord saying to me, Jeff, is this what you're asking me about this morning? I couldn't decide between two because evidently there was a different one, a third one. And our text for today is a companion passage to Corey's verse from Mark and we find it in Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. So you can either open your Bible to Matthew chapter 5 or your electronic device. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. Let's read that together. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, a long passage that goes all the way from chapter 5 through chapter 7 of Matthew. It's the longest uninterrupted compilation of the Lord's teaching we have in the Scriptures. Forty-four separate topics. We're just going to look at just one. Notice it says, you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. It's our identity. We have other descriptors of our identity. Children of God, one of the brethren, called ones, Christians, strangers and aliens in a foreign land, citizens of heaven, many descriptors. However... Except for salt of the earth, I can't find too many places where Jesus actually said, you are this. You are. Here he does. He says, you are the light of the world. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget who we are, and sometimes we forget what we're carrying. Now, wouldn't it be something... Wouldn't it be something if God actually put his spirit inside us? Wouldn't it be something if he actually put his spirit inside us, we could carry it wherever we went? Wouldn't that be something? That would really be something. Now, I'm not suggesting as you fully grasp that idea that you show up at work tomorrow and shout out, hey, everybody, the light of the world is in the building. 
Maybe not go there. However, when you do go to work tomorrow or to school or you're at home or wherever you find yourself, remember, the light of the world is in the building. You're carrying it. It's inside you. You are a bearer of the light. That's who you are. It's your true identity, your God-given identity. It's your eternal identity. You're called to be a light bearer. You're invited to carry the light. And if you are a Christian, you accepted the invitation. Let's not forget who we are. And sometimes we forget who we are when life throws the hard things at us. When we're in a dry place and there doesn't seem to be anything to drink, or when we're in darkness, we don't know which way to go, we can't seem to find the leading, when we're in the valley of the shadow of death and we're paralyzed by it, when the sky seems like brass and our prayers just seem to bounce back at us, when we're lonely, when we're anxious, when we're worried, when we're afraid, it's in these times we tend to forget who we are. We tend to forget who we belong to. We forget who the source is of the light we are carrying, and we forget who is inside us. Besides forgetfulness, another thing that our affects our identity, negatively affects our understanding of who we are, that we're light bearers. <clears throat> it, affects, it affects our understanding of how we were made, is when we start comparing ourselves to other lights or to other light bearers. I think Joel said last week that comparison is, an enemy, is from the enemy. I believe that's true. Think about all the different types of light and the different things light is used for. Imagine Split Rock Lighthouse. When it was in use, that light could be seen by a boat on the water 18 miles away. Huge light. It was a warning light. It communicated something. You could hardly look at it if you were too close to it. However, it's not the light you want in the dining room when you're having a quiet, romantic dinner with your loved one. Then there's laser light. It can cut steel, it can be used in surgery, it can aim weapons, it's useless as a headlight for your car. And of course, for all us older men here this morning, there is the most important light in our lives. It's that tiny little plug-in light that helps us find our way to the bathroom at night. There's a light that fits on top of my bike helmet and it flashes. It's a great job, it does a great job of letting cars know where I am. Hopefully it keeps me safe. It's not good for reading. You are the light of the world. It doesn't work so good for reading. You know they have a light now that can be embedded in a camera lens, fixed at the end of a fiber a little thicker than a human hair. Doctors can insert this fiber into your body and probe about examining areas that previously could only be looked at through surgery. It's worthless as a streetlight. The moon, beautiful to look at, an inspiration for poets and authors and composers, calendar makers, and even astronauts, but it cannot make your garden grow. 
As many and as varied are the uses of light in the natural world, I can't help but think it is even more so in the service of the Lord. He has fitted and fashioned, he has fitted and fashioned us to carry the light in specific and unique ways of his choosing. They're all important. They all have value. And if you consider thoughtfully, you will find he has fitted you perfectly for who you are and how you were made to function. You are the light of the world. Handmade, custom made by God. And then the text says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, so that all in the house may see the light. When Jesus called us to be the light, he actually had an idea in mind. He had a purpose. When he invited us to be lights in the world, he was calling us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. He was calling us to do something for him. He was giving us the sacred honor and solemn privilege of representing him to the world. Not a lighthearted task. Not a small sideline activity, not a hobby. It's a life. When we accepted the invitation to be a light bearer, we made a commitment to a sacred and holy thing, a lifetime commitment. And his plan is to put us out there, visible, on the lampstand, on the hill, not to be missed. And Paul expands this idea in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 2, he says, we are to carry our light with awe and wonder. Some translations say in fear and trembling. We're not to complain or argue about it. We're to hold fast to the word and we're to strive to be blameless. Why? Because we have been set as luminaries, stars, lights, in the midst of a perverse and crooked generation. Right in the middle of the darkness, Jesus puts us on the lampstand. Sometimes we think about what we can do to serve the church, and that is fine, and that is good, and it is as it should be. However, the darkness is out there. There are places outside of these walls where God calls us to be the light, shine the light. And often, it's those places where we find ourselves in the day-to-day. It may not be comfortable, it may not be easy, and after all, it will be in the midst of crookedness and perversion. Let's not be surprised when we see the world exhibit darkness. But Paul reminds us that God sets us there. Light dispels darkness, it exposes darkness, it ends darkness. Light brings healing, it brings understanding, it reveals pathways. Light lets us see. 
in the Civil War when things were just really going really, really bad for the Union and Congress was thinking about not giving any more money to the Army and Lincoln couldn't find a decent general and everything was a mess, he stood before Congress and he gave one of, the, one of my favorite quotes of his. There's a lot of his quotes that are good, but this one's one of my favorites. Abraham Lincoln said to Congress that day, the only thing necessary for darkness to win the day is for good people to do nothing. Can I repeat that? The only thing necessary for darkness to win the day is for good people to do nothing. An acquaintance a while back <coughs> tell me they thought they should quit their job because there's no positive or no Christian influence Around them at work, co-workers were using foul language, some were unethical in how they worked, others were gossips and slanderers, so he thought he shouldn't be there anymore. I'm not the Holy Spirit, so I'm not the one who should be telling this person what they should or should not do, and this person wasn't asking for my advice. But I can tell you what I thought. I can tell you what I wanted to say. Is this place where you are darker than Joseph's dungeon? Is it darker than where Daniel served in Nebuchadnezzar's court with the magicians and the conjurers? Is it darker than the pit that Jeremiah prophesied from? Is it darker than the cities that Paul visited? Do you think God's called you to a cloistered life, hiding out from the big bad world? You may not be of the world, but you're in it. Have you considered that maybe God set you there to be a luminary? Maybe he set you there because he wants light to come to that place, and you're the light. Have you considered that you've been honored to be in that dark place, that he chose you to be his representative? I didn't say any of those things, I just thought them. Maybe I should have said something, I don't know. But notice, please, that Jesus hints at a twofold manifestation of his purpose for the light. You know, we have the church, there's the church, believers united in one mind with one purpose a city set on a hill. We don't have time this morning to entertain all the implications of the city on the hill. However, we must understand that part of his plan and purpose for us as light bearers is to be united with other light bearers and form a city of light that cannot be hidden. Part of light bearing is what the church does as a group, as a body. Ajith Fernando who was the president of Youth for Christ in Sri Lanka for 35 years, has a great quote in his commentary on the book of Acts about the idea of a community of believers being light. This is what he says, a close Christian community united in love and purpose may be the most important prophetic message we can give the world. A close Christian community united in love and purpose may be the most important prophetic message 
we can give the world. It seems today that in American Christian culture, the idea of belonging to a local church, uniting with other believers in a common cause has become a take-it-or-leave-it proposition. I believe Jesus has something bigger, something more powerful, something more enriching for us. Maybe trying to be a lone little candle flickering out in the wind all by yourself, disconnected. Maybe that's not exactly what he had in mind. And then he talks, uh, excuse me, and then there is the individual lamp. First you have the city on the hill, corporate. Then the lamp, individual. Part of his purpose also involves us as individual light bearers, individual light bearers. And I have this feeling that maybe, just maybe, our role, our individual part, is not to be acted on in a casual manner. And now the Lord talks about how to let the light shine. He says, let your light shine before men in such a way. He's actually got some instruction in such a way. First of all, let's deal with the word let. In our language, this word leans more to the idea of allowing or giving permission to. However, the original word here has more oomph to it. It leans more to the idea of make it happen, make it be this way. Or for you Trekkies out there who like me, like Jean-Luc Picard, make it so. To me, at the most basic, basic level, this letting our light shine, this making it happen, it happens at the point of individual surrender, an act of our will, willingness. When was the last time you said to God, have your way with me today, Lord? When's the last time you prayed, use me today for your purposes? When was the last time you said, let me be a light in a dark place today. Let me bring glory and honor to your name. When was the last time you allowed the light of God to shine on your own motivations, your own choices, your own actions? I think we get so busy, so involved, that we forget a simple pause, a simple turning of our heart and mind towards God. Something that only needs to take a moment and something that probably could happen repeatedly throughout the day, moment by moment, this can have far-reaching implications. Oh, that you and I might become a people sensitive and surrendered to his leading. Also part of making your light shine, letting it shine, is to not hide it, intentionally or otherwise. When we lash out in anger, we obscure the light. When we lie and cheat and steal, we hide the light. When we make self-righteous pronouncements, people see an ugly us instead of the light. And when we are selfish and greedy, we shroud the light. And when we refuse to forgive, and wallow in bitterness, we are in danger of quenching the flicker that's left. And when we treat our employees as disposable, we mar the light. 
And if we refuse to give our employer our A-game every day, the light is hard to see. Maybe you're suffering from an addiction. One of those addictions that cause you to be stooped over, chained to the ground. Go to the Lord. Have him help you remove the shackles. Let the closed curtain be reopened. I have two other thoughts about dimmed lights or about letting the light shine or not hiding it. There are some of you who are thinking, I've blown it too many times. I've been wallowing in the mud for too long. I'm too dirty. The privilege of being a light bearer is over for me. Well, you've forgotten two important things. The first thing you've forgotten is that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Do not get withdrawn. They're there. And the other thing you've forgotten is something that the Apostle John taught us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. His ability to forgive is endless. His cleansing skills cannot be exhausted. If you think you've blown it, if you think you've become disqualified, won't forgiveness and a washing from God, won't a supernatural cleansing of all the filth you've accumulated, won't that solve the problem? Secondly, there are some here today who are wounded, hurting too much to even think about bearing the light. And you might be thinking, carry the light, serve others, be a lampstand in a dark place. You don't understand, I'm drowning in pain here. I can barely keep my head high enough to breathe. Well, you are right. I probably can't understand, at least not the depth of understanding you need. However, there's one who does understand and can understand and will understand. There is real hope for healing. There's real hope for restoration from the one who has experience. Surely, our griefs he himself bore. He can sympathize with you like no one else can. And I sincerely believe if you go to him, if you tell him the depth and cause of your hurt, and if you allow him to heal your broken heart and bind your wounds, if you allow him to put healing salve on the open sore, if you allow him to reset the joint that is out of place, he will bring you to a place of restoration. And if you let him, If you let him, I believe he will use your wounds to make you a stronger light bearer. And he will use your wounds to cause your light to shine in a manner and in a power that is beyond your imaginings. And then it says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works. 
the list of things and the variety of things that Jesus has inspired or called people to put their hand to through the ages is endless. And we could categorize all of them as good works. In Ephesians 5, Paul talks about goodness or good works as something we should focus on if we want to walk as children of light. When you put your hand to feeding the hungry, housing the homeless, when you work for justice for those to whom justice is denied, when you put your hand to the freeing of slaved and trafficked people, I had a representative from International Justice Mission tell me that there are more people in slavery today than in any time in human history. That's a shocking thought. If you put your hand for the provision of orphans, if you help a neighbor, if you help a stranger, if you bring care to the elderly or to those who simply need care, if you pray for the sick, if you work with the sick, if you visit the imprisoned, if you speak the truth in love, if you pray for those who don't know the Lord, if you pray for those who know the Lord, if you're generous with your time and your talent and your treasure for others, for the sake of others, for the sake of the Lord, if you do any of that, and the list goes on, this is not even close to exhaustive. When you do any of these things, you are letting your light shine. You're being the light. And then there is the they. Notice it says that they will see your good works and they will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Who's the they? I'd like to suggest two groups. First would be the ones who come to know the Lord through witnessing good works being done by believers. Our Father is glorified when someone comes to the light. And secondly, the second group I believe is hinted at by Peter in his first epistle, chapter 2, and he says that people who slander and revile light bearers now, later at the day of judgment, they will glorify God as they finally realize his hand was in the good works being done by those who love him. I'd like to close today with one story and one final thought. When Chuck Colson was doing research for his book, Loving God, he found out about a 91-year-old woman named Mertie Howell who lived in Columbus, Georgia. She was born in the 1890s and was poor and uneducated. At 10 years old, however, she knew she belonged to God, and as she said it, his hand was on her. It was also at 10 years old where she went to work in a textile mill for 10 cents a day. Since she was working in a textile mill, she couldn't go to school. She taught herself how to read and write. She suffered hardship through loss. Her second born died as a child. Then in her early 40s, in a span of eight weeks, she lost her mother, her husband, and her father-in-law. She said she felt like Job. The loss of her husband's income resulted in the loss of their home. And to survive, she did piecework and sewing for years. Then one of her adult children died, and two more of her adult children were in deathbed with illness. 
severe health problems, and she had to quit work because of her own deteriorating health. Bound to a wheelchair and moved into a 12 by 14 room in what she described as the old folks' home, she prayed to God. But it's not the kind of prayer you'd expect. This is what she prayed. Lord, if you're ready for me, I'm ready to come. I want to die. Take me home. She then said, <laughs> she then said the Lord spoke to her, as clear as be, write to prisoners. Three words, write to prisoners. She thought to herself, she wasn't good enough to a writer to do this, and she knew nothing about prisons, and she really wanted to die. However, she said she was unable to squirm out of his leading. She knew there was a, she knew there was a prison in Atlanta, and so she sent her first letter addressed simply, Inmate, Atlanta Penitentiary, Atlanta, Georgia. This is what the first letter said. Dear inmate, I am a grandmother who love and care for you, who are in a place you had not plans to be. My love and sympathy goes out to you. I am willing to be a friend to you and correspondent. If you like to hear from me, write me. I'll answer every letter you write. A Christian friend, Grandmother Howell. A chaplain at the prison gave this to an inmate who never received mail and never had visitors. He wrote back. And then it began. She ended up corresponding with hundreds and hundreds of inmates. At the height of her ministry, Murdy was corresponding with over 40 inmates at a time. Her letters reached prisons all over the United States. And the letters she got back? She let Colson read through them when he met her. The common theme, Dear Grandmother Howell, you are the only person who loves me. I gave up on ever loving again or ever being loved again till I got your letters. God decided not to answer Murdy's prayer to come home. He had a lamp stand he wanted to put her on instead. If an octogenarian who has suffered the loss of family, the loss of mobility, wheelchair-bound, and who's confined to a room no bigger than a jail cell, if she can be a light in a dark and lonely place, well, the Lord just might be able to use us as well. And my final, final thought, there's something fascinating to me about all this light business. Do you know what the first four words are spoken by God that we actually have recorded? If you don't know, you can look it up. It's not hard to find. It's on page one. <laughs> Let there be light. Amen? Pray with me, please. 
Lord, let us learn how to surrender ourselves to you. Thank you for the light in us and the light you have revealed to us. And allow us to be ones you can use to shine your light in dark places so you may be honored. Amen.